so uh, my name is Fai. This is my wife over here, Cheryl. Uh, we are actually here celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary. <laughs> um, which means that 20-something years ago, I tricked her and she said yes. And, <laughs> and I've been blessed ever since. Um, we have uh, three amazing kids. Um, our oldest son is a freshman in college. Um, our youngest is a seventh grader, and our middle daughter is a tenth grader. Um, so our house um, is all over the map. Um, if you can imagine having a middle schooler, a high schooler, and a college student that likes to come home on the weekends, um, that's our chaos. Um, it is, it's a lot of fun. We're still learning what that means to be parents of adults um, because we're barely adults. Um, we had a, a really good friend of ours at the church um, who recently passed, but uh, watched us grow up and watched us as we were dating in high school. Um, he introduced us to a family friend that had come to visit the church for the first time, and he was so excited to introduce us to him or to them, and they said, let me introduce this is Fi and Cheryl, they are, and they were telling them all the different things that we were doing at the time, and they said, They're, they've been married for like 15 years, that was a couple years ago, and they stopped them, they said, whoa, 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 were they married in middle school, because they don't look old enough to be uh, married for 15 years, and I don't know, God, God has aged us well, I guess you can say, um, but we are, again, excited to be here. Uh, we came in here on Wednesday night. Um, we have been staying with uh, Tim and Teresa. They have uh, treated us like family. We, this is our second time here, actually, at The Way. Um, we have a saying or a belief back at home that uh, when you come for the first time into a space that you are a friend or a guest, but the second time that you come in, you are family. Um, and I got to tell you what... <laughs> Since the moment we arrived on Wednesday night, we have been family. Uh, being in this space uh, yesterday, praying with you all, we were, we felt like family. Being at Tim and Trey's house this week, we definitely were family. Uh, and here's what I mean by family. When you walk into somebody's house for the first time, you ask if you can get something out of the refrigerator because it's nice to do that, right? It's polite. Second time you go into that house, you just go right into the refrigerator, grab whatever it is that you want because that's your house. That is how they have treated us. That is how this church has treated us as we have been here. Um, so this is family. Um, as I told Tim when we were, he asked, what are you expecting today? I said, you know what? I'm expecting to connect with family. So uh, I'm hoping we can be family today, if that's all right. So I had to tell you that uh, prior to last night, uh, I had one of my favorite stories of Tim that I'm actually going to share with you and in a couple of weeks, you'll probably hear why last night is probably my new favorite memory of Tim. Um, but I'm just glad that we are here today. I'll just tell you that. Um, <laughs> but I met Tim probably 15 or so years ago. Uh, he came and he was directing uh, a young adults group, basically, uh, at our church for a long time. And got to know him and got to see him work. And one of the things that I would describe Tim as is he's all in. Whatever it is that he is willing to do or he puts his hand to, he is all in to do it. Uh, he locked himself in a box at an outreach that we did. It was about 105 degrees. And he locked himself as in a box as an illustration to a sermon to win people to Jesus. 
Um, Tim is all in. And if you've ever had any kind of conversations with Tim, you recognize that Tim is a little bit intense, um, just a little bit, and that he will ask you whatever is on his heart or mind at the very at that given moment. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, he's going to ask you. And I had just recently received my minister's license, and I was excited because, let me tell you something, when I looked back at my life, it's not something that I ever thought I was going to be doing. Um, but God saved me, God purposed me and God put me into a place that I could have never dreamt of. Uh, for the last six years, we had the opportunity to lead our student ministries at our church um, and have just recently stepped out, trusting that God said move. And so we jumped and we're still parachuting, trying to find where the ground is. But we did that. But right prior to that, we were we were excited. I was licensed. I was young at the time. I was just like, this is what we're going to do. And we stood at the end of our of our parking lot at the church, looking at the church after service was done. And he came up to me and said, so, pastor, huh? I said, yeah. And he just kind of looked at me for a moment and he said, do you really think that's what we're supposed to do? Do you really think people are supposed to be pastors? And I looked at him and I'm like, you're supposed to be celebrating with me. We're supposed, to, you're supposed to encourage me. And, and he just looked at me and said, so what do you think? And I said, well, I mean, I'm now a pastor, so yeah. And he said, hmm, and walked away. <laughs> and the reason why that gets my heart so much is because I now look back and now I stand here in his church. And I get the privilege to share his stage and be able to say, I think that was for us. And... Um, I have to tell you that you guys have some amazing, amazing pastors. Um, whether you've known it, whether you're new, whether you've known them for a long time or didn't know it, you have some amazing leaders in this place. Um, and I believe that God is using them to take this place somewhere that is going to blow your mind. Uh, we had the privilege a couple months ago of spending time in Alabama with uh, Lacey and Brady. And I tell you what, you... You have some amazing, amazing people. And if you haven't had the chance to do it, um, encourage them, love on them, not because they need it, uh, but because they're they're deserving of it. Yes. Uh, they are some great people. And so it's my privilege to stand here this morning. Uh, I want to share with you something that on New Year's Eve, God put into my heart. I was uh, in, in the house kind of overlooking... Uh, from our upstairs into our downstairs, looking at Christmas that had yet to be put away um, because Christmas doesn't ever get put away when you want it to be put away. Um, it's one of those things that you wish you could just snap and it would be done. It's so much fun putting it up, but then when you have to take it down and rearrange and put stuff back where that belongs and not remembering what box the things that you pulled out of came from, right? So I was overlooking and I was like, man, this is going to be fantastic. We got to put Christmas away. And there was gifts for the kids that hadn't been put away yet that may still not be put away. Right? Because, you know, where do you put it? But I was overlooking and we were getting ready to go to my nephew's birthday party. He was turning one on New Year's Eve. That's rough. But we were going to Chuck E. Cheese for his first birthday party. And all of a sudden I felt, I just felt something quick in me and said, you need to go look for this book. And we have this 
in my daughter's room because we are uh, in renting our my in-laws' parents' house or my in-laws' house, excuse me. And in that room, we have we don't have a space for a library, so my daughter's room has dubbed has been dubbed in one corner a library. It's just how we roll. And I just said I just felt something inside me say, "Go look for this book." So I went and I got up on this countertop, and the countertop's probably about this high. And I was standing there, and I was looking for this book in her room, and nobody, she's not there, and everybody's looking for me, but nobody can find me. And I'm standing on this shelf looking for this book, and I don't find the book that I'm looking for, but I find another book, and I grab it. I just felt that's the book I needed to grab, and I opened it up. And as I opened it up, these words just kind of pierced my heart. And here's what it said. What do you want? And normally I would be like, I'd, cookie, pizza, I don't know. But the words were from Jesus. And so I've realized that Jesus wasn't asking me, what did I want to eat? But it was something that God was just saying, what is it that you want? And as I was thinking about this morning, it was to ask you this morning, what do you want? Because oftentimes, when, when we're kids, it's easy to ask for things that we want because we typically don't realize the cost of what it is that we want, right? Uh, we want a race car. Mm, that would be nice, but I don't think that's going to work, right? Or I want this thing, and I want to go out and have this for dinner, but you don't realize that if we cook this for dinner, it's that much cheaper, but kids have no filter, right? We just, we ask for whatever it is that we want. But at some point when we become adults, we become timid a little bit. And we don't, we don't ask for things the way we used to because we realize now we're paying for whatever it is that we want, right? And so we stop asking for things the way we used to because we've recognized that there's, there's been a change. But we become timid and we don't ask the, the certain things or specific things that we want. And as I was, I was standing on that, on that shelf, this, this thought came to my mind that when I was a kid, I was born in the 80s. And so I grew up in the 80s and uh, we didn't have a whole ton of stuff. But my brother and I, we made do and uh, we had this bike that was purple. And before purple was cool. And it had a banana seat on it. And we got around town on a purple banana seat bike, and we rode down hills without helmets. Wherever we could go, we were just crazy. But I realized after some point, I didn't want to ride on the back of my brother's banana seat bike. I wanted my own bike. And so I asked for Christmas for a bike, and, you know, my parents initially were like, mm, okay. And I don't think I got the bike that year, but a couple of months down the line, my grandparents had gotten wind that I wanted a bike. And so they invited me over to their house and they were so excited to have me there. And they said, come, come, come over here. And, uh, my parents, my, my family is from El Salvador. And so they're, uh, they're very demonstrative. Um, and they were so excited, like, come, come look, come look. And so they brought me into their living room and there in the living room parked was a baby blue bike. So I had a purple bike and a baby blue bike. And that baby blue bike, when I looked at it, it had white spokes. And when I looked closer, there were Care Bears on it. <laughs> so Care Bears were cool. 
But not for a seven, eight-year-old who wanted to be cool. A Care Bear bike was not cool. It didn't do anything for, you know, trying to be cool with my friends or anything like that. And so somehow, magically, later on, that Care Bear bike got crashed. I don't know what happened. But here's what I realized, that I had asked my parents at one point for Christmas for a bike, but I was never specific as to the type of bike that I wanted. I, my grandparents were like, here's a bike, it's perfect. He'll like it. I mean, I was grateful. But it wasn't what I wanted. And in that moment, as I was standing back in my, in my daughter's room, and she came upstairs and looked at me and was like, what are you doing? I felt God asking me to ask you and to also ask myself, what is it that you want this year? It's an odd question to ask because oftentimes we think that we go to God to ask him for things. But in this year, I believe God is asking, what is it that we want? And it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to wrap your mind around. And that passage where Jesus asked, what is it that you want? He was speaking to this man who was blind. And in this passage, we'll put up here in just a moment, it's found in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is getting ready to walk to this, um, to this village, or he's getting ready to walk through this village to Jerusalem. He has it in his heart and in his mind that he's walking to Jerusalem to lay down his life. And as he's walking, here's what happens. He, he's walking through this village and he encounters this man in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Here's what it says. When Jesus and his disciples passed through Jericho, a large crowd joined them. Upon leaving the village, they met a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road named Timai. I'm reading out of the uh, Passion Translation, so if you were in your NIV, it might say Timaeus or Bartimaeus. And he was the son of Timai. When he had heard that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now in my affliction, Heal me. And it continues, those in the crowd were indignant and scolded him for making so much of a disturbance, but he kept shouting with all his might. He kept shouting. People were telling him, be quiet. But he kept shouting with all his might. He said, son of David, have mercy on me now and heal me. And verse 48, those in, Jesus stopped and said, call him to come to me. And so they went to the blind man and said, have courage, get up. Jesus is calling for you. And so he threw off his beggar's cloak and he jumped up and he's made his way to Jesus. There's two more verses here. It says, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now remember, he was blind. I don't know about you, but if I was blind, I think that would be the thing that I was asking Jesus. But Jesus asked him anyways, what do you want me to do for you? And the man replied, my master, please let me see again. And so Jesus responded, your faith heals you. Go in peace with your sight restored. All at once, the man's eyes were opened and he could see again. And he began at once to follow Jesus walking down the road with him. This is a story that, as a child, I used to hear all the time. I used to go to Sunday school or sit in Royal Rangers or wherever it was that I went to, and I would hear the stories. I would see them on the felt board, Jesus going to the town, and I would see these stories. I would hear them all the time. But it's as I looked at this story, something, something caught my attention. And there's six things that I want to share with you. Normally, I don't share six things, so 
uh, just roll with me today. There's six things that I think that are important to this story that if you will catch them, I believe that they can be a catalyst to push you in this new year, 2020, to do some things. So we still, we're still saying happy new year, right? Yeah. Till February, yeah. we're good. Then it's just 2020. In this new year, if you'll look at these six things with me and if you'll put them into practice and if you'll see them for what they are, I believe that they can push you into some new things in this new year. Are you ready? Number one. The first thing that I think is important to notice is this, is that it says Jesus had his mindset. He was walking to Jerusalem and yet he was not too busy to stop and pay attention and listen to what this man was going through. And why that's important is this is because I believe that nowadays we believe that God is too busy to hear us sometimes. That we go throughout life and we, we figure, you know what, God has all these other things to worry about. My life is okay. He doesn't need to listen to me. I'm not going to voice what I, what I have to say to him because guess what? He'll get to it eventually. But I need you to understand this morning that God is not too busy for you. And that if you'll know that and if you'll remember that, that God is not too busy for you, that he would be willing to stop to hear you, that he would be willing to incline his ear to you, that he would bend down and get close just so that you would speak to him. I believe that if you can remember that, then you'll be more willing to speak. Secondly, it says that this man was shouting. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was shouting, he was shouting, he was shouting. And the people around him were trying to get him to be quiet because he was basically being annoying, yeah. right? They were telling him to be quiet and all of a sudden their tone changes when Jesus says, no, bring him to me. And they say, take courage, man. He wants to talk to you. Look, this man was willing to shout and didn't care who heard him, didn't care what was going to happen, the more that people told him to be quiet, the louder his voice got. And I believe that it's that is something that has been lost on us. That we aren't willing to come to a place where we're willing to raise our voice as loud as we can to let God hear us. Because we think that as long as we pray in our head, we're good. And don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing, but here's what I'm telling you is that there's, there's a time and a place to raise some commotion and to disturb the spirit a little bit if we are willing to, in our spirit, be willing to be like this man that says, I recognize that Jesus is here. I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to raise my spirit because I need him to hear me. I need to persevere. I'm going to shout all the louder. The more people tell me I'm crazy, the more people tell me to shut up, I'm going to shout out. And I'm going to let it rise from the bottom of my spirit to let him hear. And I don't care who hears me. Why? Because I need Jesus to know I'm going to, I'm going to persevere in what it is that I'm asking Jesus for. And what it is that I want to be in his presence for. I'm going to persevere and I'm going to shout in my spirit as loud as I possibly can. I am willing to cause a commotion in my spirit and in the spiritual realm so that things can change. Number three. It says that when he was shouting, he was shouting, Jesus, son of David. He wasn't shouting, Jesus, dude from Nazareth. He wasn't shouting, Jesus, guy that I've heard can heal people. He wasn't shouting, Jesus, guy that I've heard can change water into wine. He was saying, Jesus, son of David. And it's important that you recognize that, why he was saying that, because he was addressing Jesus by a title. Son of David was reserved for a king. 
And so what he did in that moment as he was saying, Jesus, son of David, he was recognizing the royalty that was passing him by. And I think oftentimes we, we come to this place where we forget that Jesus is a king. We forget that Jesus rose and he, he came triumphantly because we simply think about Jesus in a manger or in a tomb resurrecting. But we don't recognize that when he resurrected, he resurrected as a king. And he looked and he recognized, even though he couldn't see, he recognized that this one that was passing by was royalty. And guess what? If I can get close to royalty, something can happen in my life. Because if you can get close to a king... And if you can get the king to hear you, I don't know what you know about kings, but what I know about kings is they have provision, they have protection, they have things to offer that a common man can't offer. And so he looked with blind eyes as he was passing and he said, Jesus, son of David, basically saying, Jesus, king, hear me, king. Let me catch your attention. King, can I have an audience with you? And the king heard. And he stopped. And he listened. Number four. It says that when they came to him and they said, take courage. The master wants to see you. Go. It says that immediately he took off his beggar's cloak. And when he took off his beggar's cloak, it says he got up and he ran. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to run with your eyes closed, um, but running with your eyes closed is hard. Running with your eyes closed with something that might trip you up is even harder, right? But he took off this cloak and he laid it to the side and he jumped up and he ran to Jesus, eyes closed, full after him with everything he had. Here's why that is important is because in that culture, in that time, someone who sat by the road day in and day out, the way they made their living if they were a beggar was by begging. But in order to be a beggar, they had to have a beggar's cloak that signified that that's who they were. Because they had to be somebody that was taken care of by the people. That was part of their customs and traditions. And so he had this beggar's cloak that he held on to because that was his way of making a living. But it says that in order to get to Jesus, what he did was he threw off that beggar's cloak and ran. Here's why that is important is because oftentimes we run hindered with stuff. We hold on to things. And that beggar's cloak that he chose to throw off of himself signified his old way of life. It signified who he was. It signified this is how I'm going to have provision. This is how I'm going to be taken care of. This is what I'm going to be all my life is basically a beggar. He said, not anymore. Because I recognize the royalty is passing me by. And so he threw his beggar's cloak off and he laid it on the ground, unhindered, running towards Jesus, eyes closed and everything. And oftentimes I think that he could have gone back and picked up that cloak and said, I'm going to beg again. But he didn't. He left the cloak there. And he ran towards Jesus. And as he ran towards Jesus, he said, I'm not... I'm not going to hold on to that thing. I'm going to lay waste to my beggar's cloak and my old way of life. The way people knew me, I'm going to lay waste to that. I'm going to grab hold of what God has for me. Because Jesus has something new for me over here. That if, if I'm willing to let go of that, if I'm willing to lay it down and lay waste of it and not pick it back up again, I can grab hold of what God has for me over here. But oftentimes, I believe that we go to this place where we see that cloak that was comfortable. We go back to that cloak and we're like, life was easy there. 
didn't have to do anything. People took care of me. People gave me what I needed. That's the life I've always known. Maybe I should just go back and pick that thing up. But he said, no, I'm, I'm throwing that off and I'm going to run unhindered to Jesus. Because if I do that, there is something there that wasn't here. And if I do that, he might just do the impossible and open my eyes. But I have to be willing to leave that there. And so he took it off and he jumped up and he ran towards him. And then he stepped up to him. And Jesus says, what is it that you want from me? What do you want? What can I do for you? And notice that when he asked him that question, he could have told him, Jesus, I want you to take care of my every need. Jesus, I want you to you know, give me all the riches in the world so I don't got to beg anymore. But he said, Jesus, I want, you, I want you to restore my sight. I want to see. Why is that important? Because if he would have said, Jesus, I want you to provide for me and do all that, he would have been left in that life. But he said, no, I want to be able to see, which signified the fact that he then now had to change the way he lived. Yeah. He had to do something different. Because his eyes were open, he had to find a new way to, to be provided for. Because back then he was provided for by other people. Now he said, I have to do something new. So I'm assuming, and it's not in there, but I'm assuming he had to go to work. He had to do something. He had to rely on the fact that God was now going to give him the ability to do something new. That he couldn't do before. Because his eyes were open. He didn't ask for riches to be taken care of he asked for eyes to be opened so that he could do something new and so Jesus opens his eyes but understand that he was willing to boldly speak what it was that he wanted what it was that was in his heart he didn't say well Jesus you know if you could um you know my family uh it'd be cool if you could take care of them he's no this is Jesus this is what I want and Jesus said your faith it heals you. In all the other times that Jesus went and healed people, oftentimes he would tell them, now be quiet and be careful not to tell anybody else what I've done for you. And the people would leave and they would go do their thing. And yet in this story, it says after the fact that Jesus healed him, in some versions it says that Jesus tells him, now go your way. And here's what his way was. It says immediately after he got up and his eyes were open. It says he followed Jesus. He chose his way to follow Jesus first because he recognized that it wasn't about his healing or his miracle. He didn't say, hey, look, guys, look, I can see I got a miracle. He said, no, I recognize the miracle worker. I've seen him. I don't want just the miracle. I want him. So I'm going to follow him first and I'm going to reprioritize everything I do and I'm going to go follow after him with everything that I've got. Why? Because I recognize... That wasn't worth it. There's nothing for me over there anymore. But if I follow Jesus, nothing is impossible. He can heal the blind. He can raise me up. He can give me something new to do. So I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. I'm gonna, he's going to be first. Forget about the miracle. The miracle is wonderful, but it's him. I want him. And so he says... It says that immediately when Jesus told him, go your own way, he's like, I'm with you. I'm ride or die with you. Me and you, I'm with you. 
And so he went, imagine the stories that this man would tell of what it was that he saw because he actually was able to see. Imagine the, the things that, that were told. Imagine the stories that he would tell his relatives. I used to sit on the side of the road begging. I would have what I need and you know what? It's a good job. But guess what? I met this king. He touched my eyes and he gave me something new to do. And I ran after him. And I saw some things that I never would have seen before. And that cloak, it's not me anymore. I got a new cloak. I got righteousness. I have forgiveness. I have healing. See, all those things that were represented in that cloak could be to us unforgiveness, hatred, shame, holding on to a past life, relationships that are broken. But I believe that in this year, God is telling us to lay down that beggar's cloak. I believe that he's telling us, don't go back and pick those things up because I have something new for you to do. But if you keep running back to that thing or those things, whatever they might be, you're never going to take the steps into the new places that I've called for you. You're never going to be able to see where it is that I'm going because you're going to be holding on and be blinded by that stuff that you used to hold on to, that weight that you were never intended to carry. I believe that God wants to do new things in this year, but we have to be willing to let Lay waste of and grab hold of. Lay waste of the old. Lay hold of the new. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's this passage of scripture that comes after the fact that it, in chapter 11, talks about all these people that lived by faith, not by sight. Like this man, they live by faith. And ultimately, it comes to this point in chapter 12, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people that have gone before us, that have lived this life, that have walked before us, that have set us up to be in this place that we are now, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That is something that this man was able to now do. He was able to set his eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of his faith, his miracle worker, the one that took care of him. He was able to run unhindered. Why? Because he took that cloak off and said, that's not for me. I'm going to run towards Jesus with everything that I've had. Now with eyes open towards the author and perfecter of my faith. Why? Because there is something new that he has for me to do. And it's not to sit in where I used to be, but to step into where he wants me to be. And so my question for you this morning is this. In 2020, what is it that you want? What is it that God is calling you to lay waste of so that you can grab hold of what it is that he wants for you? And what is it that he wants you to leave and not run back to so that you can run towards him? Because all of us have something. All of us have things that we've struggled with, that we've dealt with, that we've laid down and maybe even gone back and picked back up. But what is it that he wants us to lay down so that we can run with perseverance, run with a commotion in our spirit, 
run with a recognition of the royalty that is set before us that says, I'm going to run after Jesus with everything that I've got unhindered, laying everything down so that I can take hold of the new that he has for me. What is that thing? What is it that you want God to do for you personally? See, because I believe that he can do something for us corporately, but I believe that he wants to do something for us personally. What is it that you need God to do for you today in this new year so that 2020 can be a year of taking new ground and new territory in your life and corporately together? See, because here's what I believe. I told you earlier, I believe you guys have some amazing leaders here already. That's a given. But that new ground that is set to be taken, that next level that... Tim has been talking about that next level that God wants to take you. He can lead, but there's got to be someone that's going to put their hand to the plow with him. But it's going to be very difficult to step into those new things if you're still holding on to your beggar's cloak. You got to lay it down. You've got to leave it there. And if you're willing to leave it there, and be like this man that was willing to run unhindered towards Jesus. I believe that there is new territory. I believe that there is new ground in your spiritual, your personal, your corporate life. I believe that there are some great and amazing things that your mind can't even begin to think or comprehend. But you got to be willing to let it go. Don't walk into the rest of this new year holding on to something that you were never meant to hold on to in the first place. When you come to the end of the year, would you look back at the moment that you laid that beggar's cloak down and grabbed hold of what God wanted to do in your life and be able to say, yeah, God, it was you, my king. It was you that did that. And all I did was be willing to take a step. All I did was be willing to let go of the old that you didn't want me to carry in the first place and I saw you do some amazing things. Will you stand with me for a moment? Can you imagine if everybody in this room decided in this moment right now if they said, I'm going to lay down my beggar's cloak, I'm not going to be identified with who I used to be. But I'm going to be identified by the royalty, the son and daughter of a king that I actually am. What if we began to be identified in that way? What if we began to be willing to stir up and cause a commotion in the spirit? What if we were willing to run with perseverance unhindered toward this Jesus that wants to do new things? What would this church look like? What would this corner of your community look like? What would your homes look like? What would your schools look like if you were willing to walk in the new and lay waste of the old? Can you imagine what life would look like if that's what it was? If we were willing to run with perseverance and we were willing to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, not hindered by the things that hold us back the sin that so easily entangles because sin easily entangles us and it's so easy to step right back into it. But can you imagine if we just laid waste of it and grabbed hold of what God had for us, what that would look like? 
Can you imagine if hundreds of roses were passed out in the streets and people actually recognized that God hadn't forgotten them? Can you imagine if there were mothers that received things, didn't know where they were going to be able to get things, but because we believe that we were not going to be part of the old, but we were going to be part of the new and they were provided for what that would look like, how that would change this place. But it takes a step. It takes a willingness on our part to lay waste of and grab hold of. So what will you lay waste of this morning? this afternoon what will you grab hold of I'm going to pray I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come up front but I am going to ask you to put your hands out in front of you if you will just as a symbol God this morning we surrender we submit all that we are to you God we lay waste of that cloak that so easily entangled us that beggar's cloak that identified us as somebody that maybe wasn't worthy or wasn't good enough or that depended on others. God, we lay waste of that and grab hold of who you are completely and how in you is found complete provision, wholeness, health. God, we grab hold of you and all that you are. And God, we open our hands to receive all that you are, God. And we open our hands as a sign to you that says we do not want to hold on to our past any longer. We don't want to hold on to our hurts, our pains, our struggles, our shame. We will not hold on to those things, but we will open our hands to your hand. We will open our hand to what you want to do and pour through us, God. We want the new, not the old. We don't want to walk into the rest of this year, God, carrying things that we were never meant to bring into this new year in the first place. God, we lay those things down at the foot of your cross where you said it was finished. God, we will not go back and pick those things up, but we will march forward, keeping our eyes on you watching you do what only you can do God and that is the impossible that is more than we could ever think or imagine God we keep our eyes fixed on you and we'll watch you do some amazing things in this church in this house in our homes in our schools God we will see them transformed because of what we are willing to lay down here today we receive that God we want nothing less and God, as we sung this morning, we're not enough. We need you. We need more of you. God, we need more of you, more of you, more of you. And God, even before it happens, we will be grateful. We will be thankful. We will persevere in our prayers. We will not be silent, God. We will not be allowed to be kept silent, but we will shout with all that we've got because we want you king, royalty, savior, defender, protector, healer, doer of the impossible. God, we want you. And we receive that this morning. In Jesus' name.